Yeah, usually parents trying to teach their own children doesn't go so well, and so it's not uncommon for piano yeah. teachers' kids not to play. <laughs> yeah, I, I, w- I would get frustrated and then walk away from it. And exactly. Because <laughs> she was my mom. and Yeah, I, it's I, easy I, to walk away from mom, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sh- probably shouldn't say that, but you know. <laughs> in high school, David was involved in many different activities, including music and sports, But then halfway through his senior year, he started to experience symptoms of major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. And these symptoms began to take over his life. In this episode, he talks to us candidly about how he has learned to deal with the mental illnesses that he struggles with and what he hopes people will understand better about those who suffer. My name is Katie Houston Davies, and this is Mental Illness and Me. I was born in Salt Lake City and grew up in the Sugar House area my whole life, uh, really close to Highland High School. Um, yeah, my I have two older sisters and my parents. Growing up, I loved to play sports, especially football. Football was my absolute favorite. I played it from the time I was eight all the way through being 18 and finishing high school. And... Um, I love music. My mom is a, a musical person. She's a like a classically trained singer. So I played the violin and finally got into choir my senior year of high school. Should have done that sooner, but hindsight's twenty twenty. David, I wanted to ask when you first started having symptoms of mental illness and what process you went through to get diagnosed. That's a... I, <laughs> that's a hard question. I mean, not not hard, but it's just I feel like there's lots of ways I could answer it. Um, based the the first time I was really noticing like acute symptoms of what you know was presenting as mental illness was probably about halfway through my senior year of high school. Um, I I just started I started losing interest in a lot of my hobbies and I found it difficult to you know, find any motivation or do anything productive a lot of the time. And um, I was having like more frequent, not like arguments, but like, I was just like, I was, I was more irritable than I'd ever been. And um, was just really, really sad and blue, like all the time. Uh, And that was when that really first started. Cause I think back on, my life and um I, I i can remember specific times in my life uh that kind of point towards me having like a predisposition towards uh anxiety and depression like even when i was like young like you know grade school type young but it was never you know a problem until i was about halfway through my senior year and then it just kind of got worse and worse over time, especially once I left high school and came down to college. It got it, that was probably the worst it's ever been was my freshman year of college. And my second semester down here was when I finally ended up uh, getting in with the counseling and psychological services here at BYU. And that was when I got like my first, I don't know, I guess, formal diagnosis of major depressive disorder and a, a generalized or anxiety disorder as well. Right. So I, it's very common, I think, um, in the very early young adult stage to 
have the mental illness manifest itself. And it's probably because of all the life changes too, just the complete shift from what you're used to. Do you think that that might've had been, had to do with, I mean, you said it started during senior year, but do you think it was in anticipation of some of those things? What do you think? I, I think that is definitely part of it. Um, you know, it's hard to say exactly everything that contributed, but definitely, um, I, I very specifically remember feeling feeling like I hadn't accomplished anything with like in high school, like feeling like I hadn't done all the things that I wanted to do and that it was because I was, you know, no good or that like, oh, look, everyone else has done so much more than me and it's because you're not as good as they are or something like that. So I think that was definitely part of it was, um, you know, the comparison leading into the, you know, the life changing events, you know, uh, half of my friends left on, you know, LDS church missions right out of high school. And um, because of the things I was struggling with at the time, I elected not to go right out of high school and that probably contributed. And then, yeah, just kind of being on my own while dealing with those symptoms made it really hard to like really make any friends when I got down to college and was just kind of all alone. And and the friends that I did have kind of, you know, they found new friends. And so I was just kind of left alone. Um, And that, that did a number on me as well. Which is so interesting because before, you know, you talked about how you played football and you sang in choir and, you know, it's, and you got into a a school that is difficult to get into. And so from the outside looking in, people would look and say, oh, this kid, you know, he's, he's got it all. I mean, I remember you were dating a cute girl and you had tons of friends. Everybody loved you. And so it's so funny to think that even though to everybody else, you, were thriving inside, you still felt inferior. Yeah. And and I think part of what brought on the, you know, the more acute symptoms um, was when I kind of, you know, it was probably a little bit of imposter syndrome while I did have those things, you know, I was like, Oh, I don't deserve this because I'm a bad person or whatever. You know, I don't deserve to have all these great friends and I don't deserve to, you know, have this this cute girlfriend or whatever and then and then once all that kind of got pulled out you know from underneath me you know like the girl dumped me and then I lost my friends and either to like a mission or to you know them just finding new friends which I you know I don't blame them for um it just kind of I was left feeling like oh I was right it's because I'm no good that I don't have these things anymore Yeah. And so that actually leads to this next question I had, which is how have people treated you differently because of some of the mental illness struggles you've had? Yeah, I think the the, the frustrating part with that is that it's not, I don't think people have ever really treated me differently because they knew I struggled with that. It was because while struggling with the the mental illness, it, it caused me to be a person, you know, a different person than I, I really feel like I am on the inside. Um, 
and, and I feel like that's what's kind of pushed people away from me in certain circumstances. Like I have had times where like, you know, I've gone on a couple of dates with a girl and then we kind of talk about, you know, I, I've brought it up just in conversation and I can kind of, I've, I've felt it kind of be, kind of be a turnoff, I guess, for people. Um, just like, Oh, like, I don't really want to deal with that. Right. Which again, I'm not sure I really blame anybody for that, especially if it's not something they've ever dealt with before. But yeah, I think most of the time it's just been, you know, being so down or depressed or with like so much anxiety, like it causes me to, you know, sometimes I'm a little more curt than I would like to be, or I'm don't have the motivation to, or the desire to really put in the kind of effort that, you know, most people would expect from somebody trying to be their friend, you know, and it's something that's, that's difficult to really explain, I guess, but it's just kind of like, I feel like the part of me that's, that presents to people when they first meet me more often than not is a product of the anxiety and the depression rather than who I am as a person, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. And, um, I, I can relate to so much of those feelings. Um, I struggled with OCD as I was growing up and that also affected my self-worth a lot because I just always felt like I wasn't, um, good enough. I wasn't doing enough, uh, to meet my own expectations of myself. And, um, and like you said, that can sometimes manifest itself to other people in a way that's off putting, even if that's not who I am, it was just a manifestation of the mental illness. It's still sometimes with dating, I would struggle because I was very down on myself and I would be down on myself out loud to people that I was dating. And, you know, people really like confidence, you know, they like someone to be, to be sure of themselves. And, um, and so I, I found my own struggles for the many years that I was single, um, after high school. So I can totally relate to that. And now that it's been a few years since you have been diagnosed, what has helped you to find peace with your self-worth and to, um, to get it back a little bit? Honestly, um, that is an ongoing struggle. <laughs> we're, we're still in the middle of that one here, especially recently. Like I, I've been kind of in a, a bit of a depressive episode the last little while here. And um, the self-worth, you know, it, it, it comes and goes a lot. I mean, I, I've never really reached a point where I felt like I've had like a lot of self-worth to be completely honest you know, I have that same tendency to be, to be down on myself, but everyone, you know, everyone wants confidence. Um, and, and I hear, you know, I hear the, the fake it till you make it a lot. And it, it's hard to fake it when you don't really know what it looks like in the first place. <laughs> you know, like I, right. I don't, I don't know that I know what it feels like to be confident in myself. So it's hard for me to pretend like I am. And so, I mean, as far as finding peace, I guess just sort of like trying to accept the reality of like, that's not 
who I am, like the, the things I struggle with aren't me. And that I guess the biggest thing is, is I'm trying to learn how to, um, I'm trying to learn how to change and like have real lasting change. Um, because I've, I've had better periods in my life where like I felt better, but like I've never, I've never, you know, felt cured, you know, <laughs> I don't think that's a thing that will happen for me. And I guess it's just kind of coming to terms with that and learning how to live the best life that I can while still struggling with the things I struggle with. And hopefully over time, it just, uh, I, I learn how to do that better, I guess. Yeah, I definitely believe in that power of change, but you're right. It's not an easy process and it's not automatic and it also isn't a cure, right? You do learn things that I guess cure some of the, the symptoms. Um, but at the same time, the mental illness is usually a lifelong companion and it's something that you just have to kind of work through. And, yeah. um, I've definitely found that to be true, but I will say right now that I am in such a better place now than I ever was when I was in my early twenties. Mm -hmm. And so there is definitely hope for, for being able to find that peace. The first time that you helped me out with my mental illness advocacy efforts, you appeared on a little YouTube series that I mm -hmm. did. And one thing that you mentioned on that series was about body image yeah. for males, especially. And that was very, very intriguing to me. And po probably the first time I had ever talked with or heard from somebody uh, talking about male body image. It, can you address that? Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> being, you know, I was like, uh, like a multi-sport athlete growing up and in high school and I was in pretty good shape, you know, um, by the time I graduated and then I kind of got hit with all of this stuff and that was kind of one of the first things to go out the window. Um, it was it's just like when you, you know, when life in general feels pointless, it's hard to motivate yourself to, you know, go to the gym or go for a run or whatever. I, I put on a lot of weight. Um, honestly, in the first year after graduation, um, I, I can't give you exact numbers, but it was dramatic and it felt horrible. And it still does to this day, honestly. I was so used to, you know, being someone who was active and who enjoyed being active. And, and there were probably some bad habits that were, well, there were definitely some bad eating habits that were, uh, you know, kind of counteracted by just the level of activity I had as a, as a teenager that continued, even though the activity did not um, I, I kind of developed a, a complicated relationship with food where it was like a comfort thing for me, but it also, I also felt horrible every time I would indulge because I knew I, I wasn't helping out myself in the, you know, the weight department. So I would feel worse, but then, so I would turn back to the food because it was a comfort thing and it just became, you know, a repeating cycle, you know? So it's still something I struggle with right now. People at large, I don't want to use the word society, but like society at large doesn't really talk to young men about 
their bodies and, and how they should perceive them. You know, there's a lot of emphasis for, for young women, which I think is, is great. And we should, you know, continue advocating for people to, you know, be comfortable in their skin, but also to try to do what they can to be healthy. But I just, I've just never felt like the message for young men was that, you know, you're, you're handsome or you're beautiful, you know, no matter what. It's hard to feel like if I don't look a certain way that no one will like me because it, that just doesn't get the same kind of attention that it does for, for women. Absolutely. I think you're right about that. People assume that uh, men maybe don't care as much. And I think, honestly, part of it would be probably be that there are some, there's probably men who, who don't care that much. Um, but there there's a lot of us who do and who struggle. And, you know, that's still one area of my life where I, I do make a lot of self-deprecating remarks because I, I do feel that way. I, I feel bad about it. You know, I feel bad about being heavier than I was. And, and yeah, that's just something I, I still haven't really learned to be okay with. And it's not that I, you know, it, it, it's still hard to put in the work to change it because, you know, that's the other response you immediately get if you talk about anything like this is it's like, well, what are you doing to fix it? And it's like, it's, it's a little more complicated than that, you know, especially if you're somebody who deals with, you know, uh, a frankly debilitating mental illness. Right. And like you said, it's a cycle. You don't feel good about yourself. And so then those feelings make it so that you aren't motivated to do anything at all because you feel hopeless and helpless. And so yeah, it's those two things affect each other a lot. And so it is frustrating when people act like there is some easy fix when there right. isn't. Um, a lot of times the changes have to come from within first and then they can, you know, you can focus on on other areas. I, I've noticed that in my life when I'm in my worst periods of mental illness, whether it be anxiety or OCD or whatever, I, I don't have the ability to focus on other things that I would yeah. like to do, uh, because I'm my, all my energy is working on trying to yeah. function. And so I, I can, I totally relate to that. When you were saying that there's probably a lot of guys that don't care. I don't know. I think probably they do, but a lot of guys kind of embrace the like big guy, funny guy kind of mentality, like, Hey, I'm the big guy. And so I'm going to make lots of jokes about it and I'm going to be comedic or whatever, and just sort of embrace that role, mm -hmm. you know? I think for me, that hasn't really been, I guess just from a personal level, that hasn't really been my experience with it. I don't know, I just, I honestly feel that people are less likely to interact with me because I look a certain way, you know? I don't know if that's something that I'm just making up or if it's actually true, you know? That's, that's, something that I, I struggle with a lot is like, I tell myself that this is what people think of me, or this is what they will think of me if I do or say this. And the, when the reality is, is that I have no idea, you know, I don't know what other people are thinking, but my brain is so good at convincing me that I, I, I know what other people are thinking that I, 
tend to buy into it more often than I should. Yeah, you you create your own stories, you know, you create your own reality. And I've I've done that for years and years and years and just convinced myself that somebody hated me or whatever, only to find out that that was the last thing on their mind. And it's hard to be your own worst enemy and to be your own uh is it called a saboteur when you when you sabotage somebody? To be your own saboteur. It's a good word. Um but it's very, very frustrating. Very frustrating. I, you've kind of addressed this a little bit, but are there any other things that your mental illness has really prevented you from doing that you really wish that you could do? Um, I mean, I think in general, it just kind of, it, it, it forces me away from certain types of activities. Like it's, it's very hard for me to be in a, in a, in a group of people where I don't really know anybody um like especially in a social setting because it's like I can do that like in a professional setting it's not that hard for me but uh when the focus is on like just fun or like you know completely social it's it's very difficult for me to feel comfortable and and welcome you know like I really belong I guess And, and there's honestly like I've been driving to some random thing like a campfire that I got invited to last summer and I, I turned around because I like just I didn't I barely knew the person who invited me and I just felt like it was honestly like like abject terror at the thought of being in this group of people and it feels so vulnerable when you know I've spent a lot of time you know, in the back of the room by myself at things like, you know, like, at like church and other things like that. And it's just, it's just a really terrible feeling. And so I tend to avoid it as much as possible. Um, but honest, obviously that doesn't help me get any better at coping with it. So it's a little bit of a catch 22 there. So what are the number one things that you have found that do help um, when to combat the anxiety disorder and the depressive disorder I've found, I mean, I tell everyone this, um, especially people who are struggling is that number one is just time. When when I think about it it, more critically, it feels kind of depressing, but it's like, if honestly, I just, over time, I've just gotten better at dealing with the, the crappy feelings and I can, withstand more I guess so yeah time has just helped a lot and it's it, it's helped me to sort of uh learn other coping mechanisms um I've had some some really good experiences in therapy and I've had some really bad experiences in therapy for me it's just it's dependent on the therapist um that's been the biggest thing, not necessarily their methods or medication or anything like that. It's like who I'm talking to and what their perspective on things is. Cause it's, I, I feel like I tend to have a very specific outlook on things that maybe not a lot of other people share. Cause like, I know that the, like, I can't remember the word for it, but like the positive reinforcement type therapy where it's like you don't talk about the problem, you just talk about strengths. I know that's become pretty popular, but that doesn't help me at all, you know? So it's it's a very personal thing on that level. And other than that, just being able to 
kind of keep myself busy and out of my own head helps a lot. Um, you know, the less time I have to sit and think about things relating to myself or the things I deal with, uh, honestly, the better. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the positive reinforcement thing, because I know that that's a model that never worked for me. And I think that maybe it's because we both have struggled with self worth uh, problems. But when you have it in your mind, when you when you can't see your own worth, people telling you that you have it doesn't help. It does sometimes put a bandaid on it. Sometimes you feel like, oh yeah, people like me or they like that thing that I just did. But then you find yourself seeking it over and over and over again. And that's what my therapist at, um, in my OCD treatment taught me is that when somebody is constantly giving positive reinforcement, it sort of feeds the beast. It yeah. doesn't solve anything. I, I agree um, completely. I, it, it's not to say that I don't um, appreciate you know, those affirmations from people I, I, I love and I trust. Um, it's just that it, it, it kind of brings on that imposter syndrome again, where I'm just like you, if you knew the real me, you wouldn't think those things about me or something like that, you know? So many of the things that you're saying resonate with me and sound so much like my own struggles with uh, scrupulosity with OCD. It just, it's really hard when you have these expectations for yourself that are not realistic expectations if somebody is telling me how much how you know all the good they see in me and stuff like that it's like oh no i fooled you and i'm going to let you down at some point this is something i would like to mention just in general and i figure now's a better time than ever um it's just when i i'm struggling and when i want to like talk to someone about something hardly ever am i asking them to offer solutions you know, um, I, I've, I've found that like in bringing things, bringing up my struggles with a lot of people, the, the, their first, their gut reaction is, okay, how do we fix this? And it's like, well, there's not a fix, you know, there's no simple way to just wave a magic wand and all of a sudden, you know, I don't deal with depression anymore. Um, it's it's a process and it's you know kind of on a gradient um some days are worse than others you know some days are better um and most of the time i'm just looking for somebody to to listen and just let me be completely honest with what i'm feeling and why i'm feeling it and, and just to feel you know, sort of validated, I guess, or, or seen in that kind of situation. And it's not to say that, like, you know, when people ask me questions about or, or, or point out uh, sort of distorted thinking that that's not helpful, but it's like when the only concern is how do we fix you, uh, that that is pretty... It feels like it's invalidating my experience, I guess. And it feels like I'm a burden. And that is the worst feeling in the world. You know, that's the feeling that has led me to be, to go through episodes of suicidality is when I feel like I'm doing more harm than good for the people that I love. 
So what are some of the misconceptions you found that people have about major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety disorder? Um, one is that we're, we're people who just aren't, you know, we're not tough. I, I hate that where it's like, oh, just pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Like other people have it worse than you. Like I'm, I'm very aware that other people have it much worse than me in regards of, you know, socioeconomic ability and just, you know, their, their place in society. But, um, that, that thinking about that in relation to me does not help, you know, my, my feelings go away. You know, it makes them worse because it's like, yeah, people do have it worse than you. Why do you feel so crappy? I, I really hesitate to say things like this in relation to the whole, you know, they, they're not, they're just weak people. It's just, in some ways I feel like maybe I'm stronger than some other people. Like, it's not easy to wake up every day or to go long, long periods of time waking up every day wishing you didn't and, and to still go to work and go to school and, and do the things you're supposed to do with that on top of it. Like, it's not easy. I know it's dying out the narrative that like people who struggle with mental illness are, you know, just weaker minded or weaker willed. I just don't think that's a fair thing to say about anybody. No, but it definitely still exists. That dialogue is still there for sure. And I can understand why you would feel that way. People do tend to have the mentality of, well, why don't you just get over it? It's probably just the, uh, honestly, just like the same self-worth issues coming out. But it's just like, it's hard for me to feel proud of, not proud, but to like feel strength because of what I've been through. It's a difficult sentiment to approach. Well, I definitely agree with you that it is not easy to get up and go to work and go to school. And, you know, when you are feeling the weight of mental illness, it's just, it's not easy. And it is something to be proud of. And it does signal a strength of character. And I think that when you look back at your life, that'll be one of your greatest accomplishments. And I think the more that we as mental illness sufferers are humble and willing to realize um, that we do need help and that we can't do it alone, I think the better off we are. Yeah, I agree. I think that's that's another thing that I'm sort of trying to come to terms with is that like, I can't do this alone. You know, <laughs> I haven't been able to. And it's not it's not weak to lean on the people we love. I, I think of it from the sense of like, if someone that I was very close to wanted to tell me about the things they were struggling with and trusts me enough to be their support in that time. That's, that's a big deal to me. That makes me feel great because it's like this person understands how much I love them and I should be willing to put that much trust in, in people who I want to trust me that way. And I think just one last thing, uh, this is just something that's been on my mind recently. I didn't really mention this before, but like very early on in dealing with this stuff and when I right around when I was first diagnosed, like I was struggling a lot with suicidal thoughts and 
I, even just saying it right now, like I, I can feel my heart beating faster. Like it's, it's kind of, it's taboo to talk about, you know, people don't want to hear that you've struggled with that, but I'm trying to be more comfortable being honest about where I've been or where these, these things I struggle with, where they've taken me because uh, you know, I had someone recently ask me, you know, oh, well, how long have you been thinking about that? It's like, well, I've been thinking about it for seven years. Once you reach that point, it never really leaves. And it's something that I still struggle with all the time. You know, not to the, not to the point of, gratefully, luckily, um, not to the point of, you know, making any plans or doing anything like that. But it's always kind of there in the back of the mind. And it, it's, it's corrosive and, and it won't, it doesn't want to leave you alone, but I think it's just, it, it's essential that we speak about these kinds of things more because there are a lot of people who are dealing with it who aren't talking about it and nobody knows. And, and they are, I guarantee you, they are crushed that nobody seems to notice because that's how I felt when I was at my worst. People need to feel safe to express that without fear of reprisal or, you know, that people will think they're crazy or something for dealing with something that's honestly a lot more people are dealing with every day. If you or someone you know are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, available 24 hours a day, at 1-800-273-8255.